Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, ask that you'd help us to really hear from you. We don't wanna, we don't wanna engage with your word in, in some intellectual, academic way. We want to hear your word speak to us. So Father, I ask that you'd take the weakness of my flesh and my stumbling lips, and Lord, you would set all of that aside, and Father, that you know, you'd take your word, it's so powerful, your spirit, you can take your word and it can be so impactful and, and so Lord, we're trusting you for that. Uh, the, the, the pictures, the story, everything that we're gonna see, it's, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. How you can meet us in our dysfunction and, and in the middle of our mess and, and then Lord, you make a way. And so God, I, I thank you for that. I, I pray that, that we'll see that what you did for Hagar uh, you want to do for us. And so we trust you for all of this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so we're gonna review verses one through six. This is what we saw last time. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, bear him no children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And you remember they picked up Hagar the first time Abram backslides. God gives a call, puts a call on Abram's life. Uh, he is the chosen line through which the Messiah is gonna come. And he calls him to this land, this Canaan land. A famine is in the land and so instead of calling on the Lord for provision and a way, what Abram does is he goes down to Egypt. He backslides, that's the picture that we saw. He backslides into Egypt and there he picks up some Egyptian mentality, some Egyptian ways, some Egyptian living, and Hagar. And now the, now that, you know, the extended fruit of this time of backsliding, uh, those chickens are coming home to roost. Okay, so Sarah says to Abram, behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened, uh, hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And so when we looked at this last time, we said, okay, there's a pro tip in this for all the marrieds. Anytime your wife is trying to get you men to look at another woman, rebuke that in Jesus' name. No, that's the wrong spirit. That's the wrong, like there's no place for swinging uh, in the Christian home. Okay, so, uh, you know, instead of rebuking that is the dumbest idea ever, Abram's like, okay. <laughs> and so he, he, he buys in. Here's the problem. Uh, he went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw, Hagar saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Uh, she saw herself now as being better than Sarah. And Sarah said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. So I, I was the engineer of this mess, but the problem's all yours. Well, Two can play at that game. Abram says to Sarah, behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. In other words, he's refusing to take responsibility. Uh, you engineered this. You deal with the problem. And, and so she does. When Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So there's so much dysfunction here. What's at the root of all of this mess? And I'm just gonna tell you, here it is, man. Human solutions to big problems that need divine help. God will allow big problems into our life to show us our insufficiency, 
Sarah, all she wants is a baby. Whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, 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 yeah. She just wants a baby. So what does she do? She engineers a human plan, a human, a human strategy for, 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 to find a solution that really requires divine intervention, okay? Uh, God allowed that to show them their need of him, but also I want you to see their spiritual, I mean, there's a spiritual attack. There's, they're engaged in spiritual warfare. This has been going on since Genesis chapter three. You remember the first prophecy in the book of Genesis in your Bible is Genesis 3.15. And what's happening is a continuation of an attack on this prophecy. Satan is attacking the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15, God tells Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it, her seed, Right, it, the Messiah will come and he will destroy you. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so what we saw is with the giving of that first prophecy, what is Satan's response? It's to immediately attack the seed of the woman. And so what happens? The next story in your Bible is Cain kills Abel and then it just goes downhill from there. By, by Genesis chapter six, all flesh is corrupted on the earth, all flesh is corrupted before the Lord. It's so bad, the attack on the seed of the woman, that God has to hit the reset button on the human genome in Genesis chapter six. And it doesn't stop there, right? The last thing Satan wants is the fulfillment of this prophecy for the Messiah to come. So what is he doing? He's attacking the seed of the woman. When it becomes evident that the prophecy is gonna be fulfilled through Abram, well, then Satan just goes next level on Abram's family. Genesis 11, verse 30, Sarah was barren. Genesis 25, verse 21, yet the next generation of the patriarchs, Isaac is entreating the Lord for his wife, why? Because she was barren. And then with the next generation, Genesis 29, verse 31, the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, so she was barren until the Lord gave her the ability to have children, but Rachel was barren. The Messiah comes through Rachel. She's barren. Why is it that all the patriarchs have trouble having babies? Well, there's an attack on the seed of the woman. More than that, again, it's spiritual warfare as much as anything. Satan is implementing the device of deception again. That's your next blank. How? Well, again, it's all falling out to make sure the seed of the woman is destroyed. So when Esau hears that his brother came with subtlety, Genesis 27, verse 35, and took the blessing, thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. Esau's natural response to that news is, is wow, my brother kind of did me dirty. Man, I need to go find out why I lost his heart. Why would he do this? And let's reconcile this and, and let's, let's, figure out how to, let's figure out how to make this right. Is that Esau's natural response? No, he is up spiritually. He's of his father, the devil, and the lusts of his father, that's what he's following, that's what he does. Satan was a murderer from the beginning and so naturally Esau comes up with a perfect solution. Man, there's just harmony in the home of Abram's family, right? Isaac has got blessed peace in his home. Look at 2741. Esau plans to kill Jacob. That's his solution to this problem. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then, once we get the old man buried, I'll give Jacob what's coming to him. <laughs> then, right, I will slay, then will I slay my brother, Jacob. 
Uh, man, how messed up is that? That the answer to the problem is killing my little brother. This is why the house of Jacob, you know, Satan deceiving, attacking the seed of the woman. This is why the house of Jacob faces another famine and they're forced to go into Egypt. Uh, we'll see that before our study in Genesis is over in Genesis 46, uh, verses one through seven. And man, when they get to Egypt, then it's all sun, sunshine and rainbows, right? What happens in Egypt? The seed of the woman is under attack, right? I mean, they're turning every male child into you know, Purina crocodile chow. Like they're killing all of the male babies of the whole nation now of Israel. Why? The seed of the woman. The last thing that Satan wants, I mean, he's just wiping them out. Pharaoh, a type of antichrist, destroying the Hebrew children because Satan does not want the promised skull crusher to grow up and crush his skull. I mean, he's these are preemptive attacks is what these are. What's the big picture here? Okay, well, so Satan, he's working his mojo, excising his warfare, right? He's doing his thing and God's taking, man, how many know God is a judo master? You can come at him with your worst and he just flips it and now your momentum is destroying you. Hosea chapter 11 verse one tells you why God allowed all this to happen and how it's, okay, it's prophecy. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Why is Egypt in bondage, or why is Israel in bondage in Egypt? Well, out of Egypt, God knows. I mean, he gave, he gave humanity a free will and they make a mess out of everything. That's okay, out of that mess, I'm gonna keep all my promises. So out of Egypt, I call my son. So Israel, as a type of Christ is delivered from Egypt. Why, because what happened? Well, you know the story. When the skull crusher does show up on the scene, Christ is born of a virgin. The wise men know. They've got the, they've got the lowdown on what's going on. They see the star. They know what it means. They understand they, they, this was handed down to them from Daniel. They've got, they, they've got the information. They know that this Messiah has come. So they come from the east to worship him. And so they go to Herod, who is a perfect type of antichrist in your Bible, and they're like, where's, I mean, we're here to worship your Messiah. <laughs> and he's like, what? You know, he finds out all of the information, and he's like, okay. Um, they, they, they check with their experts, and it's, it's gonna be Bethlehem. Go to Bethlehem. And whenever you get done worship, you find him, you worship him, do your thing, but come back by here, let me know where he's at so I can go and pay my respects as well and, and what's in his heart. Well, he's standing in the place of God as God. He doesn't want the Messiah to rule and reign over his people. Herod's thinking that's my job. Uh, you know, so he's gonna come worship the baby Jesus with a machete, that's what he's thinking. He's gonna take out, again, it's spiritual warfare. Satan does not want the skull crusher to come mature and take him out, okay? So what, what do you have? This antichrist tries to destroy the seed of the woman, yet again, I mean, there's no, the playbook's the same, okay? From Genesis to Jesus, it's the same playbook. Destroy the seed of the woman. Okay, so, so, so what do you have? You got Herod, mad as all get out because God warns Mary and Joseph, and what do they do? They take Jesus to Egypt. So here is Israel in bondage, in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Out of Egypt, God calls his son. 
Israel as a type of Christ comes out of Egypt, so also Christ literally came out of Egypt. Make your worst mess, God says, and I'm gonna still keep all my promises. That's what's taking place here. Egypt is a picture of this world, this lost world system. And so it's also a picture of our salvation, isn't it? I was in bondage in sin, and then Jesus found me, and he saved me, and he delivered me. So when you get saved, when you get born again, God calls you out of the world. Now you're in the world still, but you're in it to reach it. You're separate from it, but you're in it to reach it. Well, so also, the picture that we're seeing here, God, God rescues us out of the bondage of sin. Uh, the quote's so good, it's again, since we're taking a kind of a 100,000 foot view of what we're seeing, what's the big picture that we're seeing here in Genesis, I, I wanted to give you this quote from Pastor Shelby. He's describing the life of Abraham and how through all of the trials, even the failures, God's still using it to grow him up and mature his faith. Uh, with each trial, he just gets stronger and stronger. Inspirationally, he says, Abram's call is a picture of your salvation. And so Abram gets to the promised land and encounters the Canaanites. You know, the first trial to the question of your salvation, um, you know, because how can God be in you, or I'm sorry, because how can you be in God's land and still encounter Canaanite corruption, the Canaanite corruption of your old nature still breaking out? I mean, I'm saved, but man, sometimes I live lost. So Alan says, hello, somebody. It's a typical Alan. Yeah. So, since God always tests your faith, you find that you encounter famine in the, in the land, so what do we do? Well, this is the first time Egypt is found in the Bible, and it is a story of a man turning back, backsliding, and going downhill. He goes down to Egypt for help, for comfort. And then he comes up out of Egypt with cattle, silver, gold, but also with Hagar, and that's gonna be a problem for him that changes human history. When you don't forsake everything and you try to bring the world up with you, it just doesn't work. So then Lot separates from Abram because of a conflict over worldly possessions. And he says he wants to go to the well-watered plain of Sodom because it looks like the land of Egypt. Lot would have never been tempted by Sodom if Abram had not carted him down to Egypt in the first place. So you're backsliding. It always has consequences, not just for you, but for other people. You introduce them to backsliding as well. And all Christians you ever meet will either be Abraham's or Lot's in a lot of respects. You're, you're gonna find these types of believers are Abraham's or they're Lot's. <clears throat> um, the name Egypt means iron furnace, a type of the world system and the place that God historically called Israel out of, doctrinally called his son out of, and inspirationally where he calls us out of uh, out, uh, out from uh, as believers. And so that was so good. I, I wanted you to have that in your notes. Now in terms of the conundrum that we're facing, I mean this is, we're, gonna, we're just gonna see what a hot mess this is. How did they get to this place of dysfunction? So get this down in your notes. They have a mess because they're implementing man-made solutions to their problems. So Sarah's barren, how do I solve this? Well, in verses two and three, she offers Hagar to Abram. Uh, Hagar gets, she gets pregnant, she has a baby. I mean, she's, she's gonna have this kid, right? I mean, she gets full of herself, and, and, and so Sarah's solution to deal with Hagar treating her bad, in verse six, is to deal hardly with her. And Hagar, her solution to this problem isn't to work it out, stay and work it out, it's to run away. 
Uh, and I think that's where most of us typically, you know, people don't like conflict. Everybody wants to avoid conflict. I think all of us, when we first see a problem in terms of fight or flight, we all pick flight. We like to avoid conflict. We like to avoid problems. Um, you know, if it's unavoidable, some people will double down on running. Other people will just like <laughs> switch in a moment and they're in fight mode because that's what cornered rats do. You know, it's our nature. Uh, so here's Sarah treating Hagar bad. She's abusing her, afflicting her, and now all of a sudden what you have uh, on, for this young mother, right? She's a single pregnant lady on her own, no husband, and she's about to become a single parent because, because not, not by her choice, but because the people in her life are crazy. That's typically how single right, single parent moms end up in that place. Somebody in their life just put on cray cray and now they're driven away. Uh, and that's the, that's the thing, she's, she's in this situation because of Sarah and Abram's dysfunction. Abram's solution to the whole problem, verse six, is to refuse responsibility and give the problem over to his wife. Typical, that's typical, that's what happens. There's a big problem, honey, you deal with it, I have something more important to do. I'm the man of the house. And then we go watch football. That's his solution, right? This is, he gives it back over to Sarah. She says, my wrong be upon thee. He's like, uh-uh-uh, nope. This is your mess, you made it, you do what you think is right. So here's the problem, nobody's seeking the Lord. And that, even that, that's still part of an awesome story because the Lord sought out this young mother to be. Let's pick it up in verse seven. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. Okay, this is the first mention in your Bible of the angel of the Lord. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord, that's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we're not going to prove that out. I'm just gonna give you the, the cliff notes this week. Next time, we're actually gonna do a doctrinal study on the angel of the Lord, and we're gonna prove to you conclusively that this is the manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ before his first coming. Uh, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are never seen. They're never manifest to the eyes, okay? The only member of the Trinity that you will see is the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 1.18, no man hath seen God at any time, the begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. This is why Jesus told the disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So nobody sees God the Father, but Jesus Christ, if you see him, you've seen the Father. You say, how does that work? Well, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's God. <laughs> One of his names in Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter nine is everlasting Father, right? He is the manifestation of God the Father in this second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 3, 8, you can see the effect of the Holy Spirit, but you can't see him. And he likens, he likens him to, to, to wind. Watch this now, John, uh, yeah, John 3, 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. You can, you can tell the effect of the wind, but thou canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So the, the Father and the Spirit, you can't physically see. You can see their effect, uh, you can know them, you can know a lot about them, but the only person of the Trinity that is, is, is seeable 
that you can touch and feel. It's the person of Christ, and we'll prove this conclusively the next time that this angel of the Lord, that phrase, it's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so be, be ready for that, get your study on. We're gonna, we're gonna go to work on that. All right, so let's look, point number two, at the ministry of the angel of the Lord, verse eight. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. Man, underline that in your Bible. Look at what God calls her, Sarah's maid. Whence comest thou, or whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I, watch the promises to Hagar, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, behold, thou art with child and shalt bear a son and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction and he will be a wild man and his hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. Okay, so Jesus, this angel of the Lord, shows up and says, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence comest thou and whither wilt thou go? Like he doesn't know. <laughs> okay, anytime God asks a question, it's not for the purpose of him getting information. He is the living God, he knows everything. So he doesn't have to ask a question to get clued in. No, when God asks questions, it's always for our benefit. It's to help us clue in. It's to help us get information, gets us thinking. You know, questions are powerful, they get you thinking. And it shows us where we are really at, the circumstances that we're really in, what we really are. Uh, Those questions are designed to show us our need and our helplessness. And so I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but, but I'm preaching to somebody because there's somebody in this room that needs to come to the place like Hagar where they need to stop running, right? They need to just quit running and let the Lord solve your problem. And you need to do it the same way that he did it for Hagar. How did the Lord solve Hagar's present problem? He told her what to do. And then she did it. Problem solved. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean even it's all roses at home in the tent. But it was the place of blessing for her. See, see, so many of God's people, they have this problem that they're facing and instead of trusting God to lead, guide, and direct them, they engineer a solution in the flesh, right? And then they get the fruit of the best that they can do in the flesh. And if we're not at peace, that we're moving forward in faith, well then, then, then we're the ones that are carrying our lives. We're the ones that have our back. We're the ones that are making provision for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I wanna know that God's hand of blessing is over my life, that God is leading and guiding and directing me. It may not make sense in terms of, of fleshly or carnal thinking, but if you take your problem, whatever it is, and say, okay, what, do, what is the word of the Lord to me, for me, in this situation, Find that out. <clears throat> Take it to your Bible study. Ask your discipler. Get with another brother or sister. Get with a counselor. What does the Bible say about my problem? And then do that. I thought we had a visitor. So then I'm like, I really feel like I recognize this guy. John shaved his beard. And it's been tripping me up this entire time. I've had this catch in my spirit. Like, who is that cat next to John's wife? They're sitting a little close. And I just put it together. Yeah, praise the Lord. Okay. 
Sorry, where was I? Oh yeah, stop running from God. So I need to find out what the Bible, you know that's what it was, John's a counselor, to talk to John, okay? What does the Bible say about this problem? And then uh, do that, do that. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but it will be the place of blessing, it'll be the place of provision, it'll be the place of protection. Man, you wanna be under God's hand. You want God to lead, guide, and direct you. Find out what the Bible says and then just do that. So I don't know who I'm talking to, but, but, but I pray I'm talking to you. The other thing that you see from this, I mean, look at, look at the angel of the Lord's interaction with this woman. What do we see? The picture here is that grace and human effort are mutually exclusive. Each rejects the other. You're either gonna do it your way or God's way. There is no other way. There are no other options. You're either, you're either rolling according to your own understanding or you're submitting to God's word. You're either going away that's right in your own eyes or you're submitting to God's word. You're going to a way that makes sense, that you think will be a path of blessing. It's the best you can engineer, it's the best you can come up with, but it ends up messing up relationships, it messes up, man, it messes up a right relationship with God. I don't know who I'm talking to, but let me just say this to somebody, running away from your problems is never the solution. Here's a problem that occurred in Abram's tent, so it's gotta get solved there. Right, we need to grow up, roll up our sleeves and get to work, working out our dysfunction. How, you said, well human effort and God's grace are mutually exclusive. Well let me tell you, how do we, how do we appropriate the grace of God? Well it's through faith in what he said. I'm saved by grace, God's grace, through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. That's how I got saved. By, by belief, I, I obtained God's grace through me believing on what? It's by grace through faith. Well, how, how did that, what faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God? My Bible tells me to study to show myself approved unto God, a workman. I'm to be a workman in the word. Otherwise, I run the risk of shame. I run the risk of making a mess, don't I? And so what I need to do is roll up my sleeves, find out what the Bible says about my mess, and then clean it up that way. Here's the other thing. I, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I hope you see this. Hagar didn't find Jesus. Jesus found her. <laughs> and so that's the amazing thing is, I, I mean, he came to her and said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. He saw her in her affliction. He found her in her lostness and her hopelessness. But man, don't look at the picture. He found her by what? A fountain of water. Jesus found another woman by a well in John chapter four, didn't he? I mean, man, he needs to eat, right? There's no food, there's no way. Just like Hagar, no food, no way. But these women meet Jesus and find fountains of living water. Jesus said it this way in John 4, verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So don't miss this. This is a picture of salvation. Jesus found her, and the living water of his word is providing a life forward for her. Here she is, she's pregnant out of wedlock. Look at verse eight again. What does the Bible call her? Jesus says to her, the angel of the Lord says to her, Hagar, Sarah's maid, not Hagar, Abram's wife. Sarah said she was his wife, but not God. So she's pregnant out of wedlock. She's not married in God's eyes. 
and she's going from bad, abuse in the tent. She's trying to make herself, she's trying to make her way back to Egypt. She wants a life back in the world, in Egypt. Well, that's how salvation works. God finds us in our mess. He knows the mess you're in. He also knows the mess that you got yourself into, and he knows where you're at in the mess, and then he just gives you his word. And here's what's beautiful. She hears the word of the Lord, and she does it, and that's the path of blessing to her. Again, she names this baby according, God told her, call him Ishmael. Ishmael means Jehovah hears. (laughs) I hear your grief, I hear your loss, I hear, I see your pain. God hears. Romans 10, 17 says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So now what is she to do? She is to walk in obedience to God's word. Not go away, don't go away that's right in your own eyes. No, submit to the precepts. What does God's, what does God's word say? Do that. That's the path to blessing. Number three, let's look at the prophecy of the angel of the Lord. Verse 10, we saw it. His seed will be an innumerable multitude. And verse 12, he will be a wild man. He will be a wild man. Uh, I heard the term, I, I was reminded of it this last week. Um, some children, they're, they're just bam bam. <laughs> do you remember, do you remember bam bam? <laughs> was that Hanna-Barbera? Yeah, yeah, Hanna-Barbera came out with a, just a work of art. Uh, it's, it's the Flintstones, that's what the series is called. So you got, you know, I mean, you've got the model kid, and then, and then you've got Bam Bam. Okay, that's, that's Ishmael. He's a wild man. He's in conflict with all men, and all men are in conflict with him. I mean, I don't know if anybody can relate. Uh, raising a Bam Bam. But you know God's promise to you. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, some of us, some of our parents, um, you're, you did that. You're training up your children in the way that they should go. They have a free will, and some of them are choosing crazy. They're choosing to, to, to live the path of Ishmael, you know, be a wild man. And, and so in some cases, we're just praying that those kids go gray <laughs> and a little stooped. Because what happens? If you got the word of God, the promise of God is that his word does not come back void. And mama, if you'll put the word of God into the hearts and lives and minds of your children when they're old, the word will win, the word will have its way. And that's the promise in some cases that we're trusting for. You know, everybody reacts from generation to, okay, here's the way it works. Um, I, know you, I know you think you're gonna do it better than your parents, and, and maybe in a lot of cases you will. Some of you, you had just holy terrors for parents, I get it. Um, but, but I'm just telling you, stereotypically, what happens is, is every generation thinks they're gonna do a better job raising their kids than their parents did in raising them. And, and the way that that works, the way you play that out in your mind is, when I have kids, I will never, or I will, so you've got this game plan, right? And, and what, it is, what, ha- what ends up happening from generation to generation is you're reacting against the way your parents raised you to make sure you raise your kids right, and in the process, of making sure you don't do what mom and dad did to you, you end up doing 10 other things that provoke dysfunction and, uh, and cray-cray in your kids, okay? Uh, the, the apple just never falls very far from the tree. I guess that's what I'm getting at. And so th- people do this all the time. I'm, I will never, whatever it is, I'll never talk to my kids that way. 
and in the process you'll raise a little me monster, trying to protect them from the way that you were raised. I just say all of that to say this, there are no perfect parents, all of us have introduced dysfunction into our kids, but here's the promise, man, I mean like, come on, it's not rocket science. Man, train your kids up in the way that they should go, and when they're old they won't depart. It, uh, I have no greater joy whenever I see, whenever I know, whenever I hear, whenever I have evidences that my kids are walking in God's truth. There's just nothing like that. Uh, Sophie's been singing with the choir for a number of years now, and, and um, I'll see her singing, and like today she led on one of the songs, and it's how I know I have cockles. I, I know I have cockles in my heart because I, they, I, like my feels activate whenever I see her. I can't, you know, she's praising the Lord, and I was like, she got the voice from her mama, but you know, I mean, it's just, it's just awesome to see your kids worshiping the Lord, to see your kids, maybe they don't know how to do right all the time, but their want to is set to that God is worth being right with. I mean, it's just a, can I just tell you, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes as a parent. Welcome to the club. Everybody is going to do that. Do you get the promise of God? Mom, dad, train up your children in the way that they should go. When they're old, the word of God always wins. It will bear fruit in that gray soil, <laughs> the gray soil of their heart and mind. Uh, they won't depart from it. So that's the, that's the case in many cases. We're praying, we're, pay, we're praying that our kids get old. The promise is that he will dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Uh, he'll never conquer or remove the Jew, but he'll be at war with him. And we're seeing that prophecy play out in history. Verse 13, and she called the name, uh, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, thou God seest me. That's beautiful. I mean, the creator of the cosmos sees you. The Bible says he's got a running count on how many hairs are on your head. Uh, he makes sure the evaporation of your tears is captured. He, he puts your tears in a ball. I mean, just like God's a detail guy. He probably has a name for every quark in your body, right? Every atom, every cell, every, like, who, man, I don't know. He just, he can do it because the Bible tells you by him all things consist. You wanna talk about quantum mechanics. There is no physical reality without the physical Lord Jesus Christ. Can't be done. By him all things consist. He changes his mind about creation and it just goes up in smoke. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. This pulpit, if we could break it down into its, just into its, 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 its most basic components, what makes up the mass of this pulp? Whenever they find out the building blocks of the universe, it'll be in the beginning God's created the heaven and the earth. <laughs> it'll be the word of God. By him all things consist. God sees you, he knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. You will, never under, you will never understand your own heart, your mind, your life, the way God understands it. She gets it, God, thou seest me. For she said, I have also here looked after him that seeth me. Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? I mean, he sees me, I need to see him. Wherefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered, and Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, he's submitting to the promises of God to Hagar. So he names him Ishmael. 
And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. What we're gonna see, and I'm just gonna give this to you as homework, okay? We wanna be able to finish up here soon because everybody needs to take their mama to dinner, if you can. Um, happy Mother's Day. We're gonna finish at 12. That's my mother's gift to you. Okay. What you're gonna get here is a picture. We're gonna see it as this plays out. The picture, the difference between Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael pictures life in the flesh. Isaac, life in the spirit. And Galatians 4 breaks that down. I'm not gonna walk you through it here this morning. Go ahead and throw it up on the screen. But what you have is Abram's two sons picturing the son of the bondwoman who pictures Mount Sinai. Right, it gendereth to bondage your ability to please God through the power and the ability, the strength of the flesh, or you're gonna live by the promises of God, and that's Isaac, right? Sarah, uh, where Agar pictures Mount Sinai, where the law is given. Sarah pictures Jerusalem from where the new covenant uh, was paid for. Uh, Jerusalem, verse 26, the mother of us all. So she has a child of promise, verse 28, and we're like Isaac, we're children of the promise. And we're either walking after the flesh, trying to please God that way, or we're walking after the spirit. Uh, The whole idea is you mortify the flesh, you walk in the spirit. This is why eventually Ishmael has to leave. Uh, The scripture says, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Uh, It's two different ways of living. So then brethren, we're not, you're not gonna satisfy God through the works of the flesh. You're just not gonna do it. You have to walk in the spirit through believing on his word. So the two sons represent two principles, life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. So Ishmael, he's born of the flesh and that birth is through unbelief. God promised a child they didn't think he would deliver so they got a baby themselves, Ishmael. Well, the son, of unbelief cannot be heir. Isaac, he's the child of promise. He's the child that comes in response to faith, and we'll see it. Uh, The proof is in Abraham's willingness to offer Isaac as sacrifice. In Genesis 22, because Isaac is the child of promise, he tells them, I and the lad will return, right? We will come again unto you. We'll come again to you. Hebrews 11, 17 says, by faith Abram, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, this child of promise, through which God told him he would make of him a great and mighty nation. Okay, you want him offered as a sacrifice? Okay. So he offers up his only begotten son. So here in Genesis 22, Abraham will picture God the father. Isaac will picture God the son because he's offering up his only begotten son of whom it was said, right, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So there it is, man. Incredible picture uh, that we'll see in the life of Ishmael. You're either walking in the flesh, doing it your way, or you're just gonna trust God to make your way. You're gonna live through what you can do, what's right in your own eyes, because you think you're smarter than God, you know better. Look at my circumstances, I know what the Bible says, but here's why I gotta do what I gotta do. Well then, okay, you'll reap of the flesh corruption. I mean, at the end of the day, you're gonna get the best you can produce, or you're gonna trust God for his provision. How many know? God's way is the best way. God's way is the right way. Okay, some of you, we're gonna get you through discipleship. Okay, so there it is. Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. He'll be 100 when Isaac comes. So I wanna close this way. Is there anyone that would say, 
uh, man, I've got a situation I'm facing that requires divine intervention, and I don't want to produce my best solution. I want to trust God to lead, guide, and direct me. Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? I'm facing a situation that requires divine direction, divine intervention. Let me see your hands. I want to pray for you. Is there any that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm facing a mess because of human solutions to problems that really require divine. I mean, like, me or the people in my life chose wrong and now I'm, I'm facing a mess and I need Jesus to meet me in my mess. Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? Please pray for me. I got a real mess I'm facing. Anybody else? Uh, I, need, I need divine intervention in the problem that I'm facing. Anybody like that? Pastor, please pray for me. Yes, sir. Okay, like us to bow our heads and humble ourselves. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, pray for me? I'm not even sure I know God. I don't even know that I've got a right relationship with him through Christ. Would you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm saved. Is there anybody like that? I don't know that I've been born again. Pastor, please, would you pray for me? Let me see your hand. I want to pray for you. Okay, Father, Lord, you see us and you see where, you're the God who sees us. And Lord, we're asking today in Jesus' name uh, for those of us that we're, on the, we're facing a situation that requires a divine intervention. A, Lord God, your solution. Lord, we pray that we'd walk in faith, that we'd face it in faith. And, and so Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters to, to not be satisfied with anything less than knowing what your word says, what the principles of your word teach and lead uh, to be the right solutions, the right way forward in those, in, those, in those problems. And then for those that, that are already in the mess and, and uh, human solutions have just really made a, a problem, Lord, we ask for your grace. Meet us in that mess and Again, Lord, give us your word. We want to know what your word says about how to move forward in faith. And so, Lord, we're trusting you for that this morning. And so, God, I pray that, that you'd help people to be bold, those of us that are facing problems, that we need you to lead, guide, and direct, that we would seek counsel, that we would get input, uh, Lord, that we would be accountable to know and to learn what your word says and, and then to walk in that truth. And then, Lord, see you undertake on our behalf. Lord, you did bless Hagar. You recovered her and you made a path forward for her. And so Lord, we're trusting that you'll do the same for us in Jesus' name. God, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, God, please help them to see that you love them. Lord, we love them. And uh, there's nothing better than having you in our life. Christ is our life. And, and so Lord, we ask uh, for salvation today. Uh, for any that, that have, have, have not yet known it, Lord, we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.